Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Downtown San Diego Partnership, a nonprofit advocate for the economic vitality and growth of downtown. From side-splitting annual dinners to free weekly yoga classes, the Downtown Partnership hosts dozens of can't-miss events each year. Get your tickets now to the annual Taste of Downtown, one of the premier culinary events in San Diego. Experience the flavors of downtown by sampling tasty bites from more than 40 restaurants throughout the Gaslamp Quarter, Financial District, and East Village on September 14th. To buy tickets and learn more about upcoming events, becoming a member, and the partnership's vision for downtown San Diego, visit www.downtownsandiego.org. I think there are some technologies in the world that will change us. Somebody, you know, went to that meetup group and there was all these 3D printers and people were making little plastic Yoda heads and someone stood up and said, okay guys, like this is cute, but don't do that. This piece of machinery can change the world. So if you are going to get into 3D printing, change the world. And that's what I remember and that's what I'm doing. From Voice of San Diego, this is I Made in San Diego, a podcast about the stories behind the region's businesses, the big and the small, and the people who made them what they are. I'm Kinsey Moreland, and in this week's show, a story about how a frustrating shoe shopping experience, a latte at Starbucks, and a magazine article led Lucy Baird to print personalized shoes on demand an idea that has become a fast-growing company in San Diego. Finding a pair of shoes that fits perfectly can be difficult, if not downright impossible. A few years ago, Lucy crossed paths with a guy who had to cut up and then tape back together shoes in order to get them to fit. Jesse Thomas is a San Diegan that I met three years ago. And he came in and I noticed that his shoes looked a little odd. And I asked him about them and he said, you know what, I've got like seven E wide feet. I can't find shoes to fit. So I do things like where I buy shoes, I rip them up and I put duct tape all around them so that I can find shoes that fit or modify them to what I have. And I was on this journey of, you know, finding custom shoes for me. And I realized, wow, there's a lot of people that have this problem. And so there he was, Mr. Jesse with the duct tape feet. Like Jesse, Lucy had a hard time finding the right shoes. So after one particularly frustrating day shopping at a mall, she decided to do something. I couldn't find shoes that fit. And I don't have anything like medically wrong. I just like, you know, you put a pair of shoes on, it rubs a little bit here, it slips off the heel. You have to try on too many pairs of shoes. I was like, I don't have time. And I realized when I gave up shoe shopping and went next door to Starbucks for a coffee that I could have any kind of coffee I want from two little machines. And yet I couldn't get a pair of shoes that fit. And that was where that light bulb moment came off. Her aha moment hit her hard while she sat drinking her latte. 
She thought about how easy it was to get that customized drink, you know, a grande mocha light with two pumps, and she wished she could have similar options for her shoes. At that very moment, she opened a magazine and an article caught her eye. And I opened up the magazine and it was technologies that will change the world. And one of the pictures was of a 3D printer, like it was the MakerBot printer. And it said, make anything one of a kind, like mass customization. So you decided right then and there over your mocha latte or whatever that you were going to solve this problem. You personally were going to take this problem on and solve it. Yeah, I know. A bit crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, nothing ever starts like, oh my God, I'm going to change the world. It just starts as kind of like a little itch that you can't scratch. And I was like, huh, you know, I wonder. And I was in a place where I'd left my prior position. I'd traveled across the country. I'd seen things like in Alaska, these glaciers and how the world was really changing. And I said, I want to do something that makes a meaningful impact to the world. I had this personal problem. And so I just started to explore. And over the next couple of weeks, I realized it's a big problem, both for people and for the environment, and that there are new ways we could solve it. And then unless you're an entrepreneur, you're never really going to kind of shake things up. And that's how this thing evolved. So I guess more people should uh, drink lattes at Starbucks, huh? That was a big moment for you. Yeah, it's just when you're open to new possibilities, when you look at the world with a different lens and say, what's wrong and what's a different type of solution? You have to be in the right mindset. And that just happened to be that day for me. The company Lucy's built here in San Diego is called Feats. Feats customers download an app on their smartphones. The app walks people through a process of taking a few photos of their feet. Those photos are then turned into a 3D model. Using drag and drop tools, customers can choose different colors and styles. And then for about 150 bucks, Lucy's team in San Diego uses 3D printers to create a single pair of custom shoes for each customer. Both the sole of the shoes and the upper, more flexible portion of the shoes are literally printed by the machines. That's the sound of an actual 3D printer spitting out the bright pink plastic sole of a shoe inside Lucy's factory here in San Diego. The factory looks more like a clean, well-organized garage. There's not a lot of waste created in the printing process. Sustainability is important to Lucy. The footwear industry is a big polluter, but because Feats uses 3D printers instead of traditional manufacturing, the main resource they use is electricity. Plus, about 80% of Feats' current customers send their shoes back after they've worn them out. Lucy has a recycling center on site where she has a staffer who tears apart the old shoes, melts them down, and reuses the plastic to make new shoes. The rest of Lucy's 15 full-time staffers are scientists, engineers, and human cobblers who work alongside a fleet of 100 printers inside the Feats factory. You can hear them all having their own little chirping away. Yeah! And you can see the different names. You were just listening to Underdog. Yep, the Feats staff has named each of the printers, and Lucy says each machine has its own personality. They recently upgraded their fleet of printers, and so now they can print a shoe in about six to nine hours instead of the 24 hours it used to take when Feats first officially launched last year. Once the shoes are fully assembled, they're put in a box and shipped to the customer's door. (laughs) 
So walk me through finding a 3D printer. They were really expensive. They're getting less expensive, but how did you find yourself a 3D printer and get things going? So the first thing I did was um, first say, okay, what do I do about this idea? And I found one of those startup weekend things, and it was actually four days later. So it was serendipitous. It's like, oh, and it was called, it was focused on fashion. So I said, oh. So I went there, and then I just pitched this idea. Six people joined me, and we worked on it all weekend. So I went to the startup weekend, found six people to help me out, and my first question was, hey, anyone know where 3D printer is? And started Googling it, you know, 3D printer San Diego, and this one thing came up that said Fab Lab. You know, come in, use equipment, you know, pay a nominal fee, and I was like, oh. And then it was just the hunt of chasing it down. And so what was your, what did you think the moment you walked into Fab Lab? What, what were your first impressions? When I first walked into Fab Lab, I mean, it was twofold. It was one, you know, kid in a candy store, like, wow, here, I've got access to like equipment I would never be able to afford or know how to use. And on the other hand, wow, if this place is so important, why is it hidden away in a little tiny place? This is where it was above a coffee shop, hidden in Kearney Mesa. Now, you know, it's actually got this wonderful space downtown. So they've grown and they're getting like the kind of credibility and the respect that they need because they offer an amazing thing to the community. You know, I've been in Fab Lab before and I was there when it was on Convoy. Great food right around there, by yes. the way, here <laughs> in the food mecca. But um, so it's a place where mostly you know tech people go to play with new tech right and one of the cool things about it is that you maybe end up talking to these other sort of geeky people if, if i may <laughs> and bouncing ideas off each other so were there any uh, people at the Fab Lab that made a big difference or helped you along the way. Fab Lab was crucial to the first six months of us getting started. They have an open Saturday policy at this time. They were closed during the week, but on Saturday, anyone could come in. I just sat there. I put on like a whiteboard. Hey, I'm making 3D printed shoes help. And I would write a question about like, does anyone know how to design? How do you get fitting? What is scanning technologies? And with a few hundred people coming in every weekend, somebody would come up to me and say like, this is stupid, or you're crazy, or hey, I know something about it, or I know someone who knows someone. And by being open and having a community where people wanted to kind of explore and help, it really gave me the opportunity to learn. Were you able to print like a dozen by the end of Fab Lab, or how long did it take to get that first shoe printed? We were there in October, um, and then the owner, Katie, said she started helping me out with press, and there was the first Maker Fair in December, and she said, okay, so you're going to have a booth, and you've got to have some shoes. And I was like, what? Um, so we actually did it. We had the first pair of wearable shoes by like December. Now, they're the ugliest things ever. You know, you could never actually manufacture them, but they were something that were custom made to me, made from a 3D printer, and I could put on my foot and like walk. Um, and then early stages, you also did a business, like a quick business degree type incubator program. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that and how that came into play? After that 24 hour kind of weekend, I found Fab Lab and Fab Lab helped me with the technical side. But I also was like, well, what's all this stuff for the business? Like, how do you incorporate? How do you find people? How do you raise money? And a woman came up to me, Janine Jacobson, who's another massive community leader and said, I've got this thing called Founders Institute and four months will kind of coach you through in a evening environment with other people who want to be entrepreneurs. So I was doing both at the same time, one for the technical development and one for the business development. So after that four to six month period, I felt really ready to start saying, all right, let's do this. 
and that's where it started getting big. So that first Maker's Fair, did you pick up clients right away or when did you first uh, start picking up clients and and really realize that this was a business and that you could make it work that maker fair we went there and like 500 people came and said sign up wow i have this problem i want to do it and i was like are you serious like look at these shoes they're like ugly right <laughs> but at the same time they understood like where this was going to go and they wanted to be part of those the journey you know jesse we started with that duct tape shoe guy he was one of those people and the problem was just like as an entrepreneur it takes a lot longer than you want it to uh, and it's a lot harder to do it and as soon as you kind of get to one challenge you got the next challenge so we didn't start selling until february of 2016 so over two years later than when that first idea came about but some of those first 500 people who signed up now they have their shoes right oh yeah so the first um tranche was the feats 100 we said this is going to be a special group the shoes are engraved they have a feats 100 logo on them those people are being treated like we get their feedback all the time they were sold out in six minutes Mm -hmm. So as soon as we opened it up, all those people that had built up and followed us said like, okay, I'm ready, hey, let's go. And then we started with women's shoes and the men's were, hey, what about me? Don't forget me. It took another six months before we could get the men's shoe out. And then women saying like, okay, I want heels. And so now it's another three months before the women's heels. And then we just keep expanding. Early on, someone told you that the 3D printer could change the world. Do you still believe that? Absolutely. I think there are some technologies in the world that will change us. The smartphone in your pocket. You have a computer in your pocket. Amazing. Somebody, you know, went to that meetup group and there was all these 3D printers and people were making little plastic Yoda heads. And someone stood up and said, okay, guys, like this is cute, but don't do that. This piece of machinery can change the world. So if you are going to get into 3D printing, change the world. And that's what I remember. And that's what I'm doing. When we come back, how a little bit of press went a long way and ultimately pushed Lucy to risk everything and go all in on feats. I'm Kinsey Moreland, and you're listening to I Made It in San Diego. I Made It in San Diego is made possible in part by a proud supporter of Monarch School. Enjoy this short sponsored interview about Monarch School and catch the rest of the interview at the end of the show. Monarch School is committed to improving educational opportunities for youth experiencing homelessness. The school's innovative approach to learning empowers their students to succeed in both school and life. I sat down with Monarch's CEO, Aaron Spiewak, to talk more about the school. So Aaron, Monarch Schools helps educate kids who are experiencing homelessness. Tell me about how and when the nonprofit was started. Sure. So the school was started in 1987 by a public school teacher with the County Office of Education, Sandy McBrayer. And she was seeing firsthand the rise in youth experiencing homelessness on the street. And she wanted to do something about it. The nonprofit arm of the organization was then established in 1999. So today our school is a partnership between the San Diego County Office of Education and the nonprofit Monarch School Project. And so together as one organization, we bring together educators, counselors, uh, mentors, community partners, volunteers, and donors. And all of these resources together um, are what help our students succeed. 
Catch the rest of the interview with Aaron about Monarch School at the end of today's show. Hey everyone, welcome back to I Made It in San Diego. I'm Kinsey Moreland. Early on while building feats, Lucy got some press. Thousands of people flooded her website after a story about her 3D printed shoes ran on CNBC. 5,000 people signed up to be Future Feats customers. And that was the moment when Lucy said she had to ask herself whether or not she was all in. It was time to either give up her day job and focus solely on Feats or give up her business idea entirely. And I thought about it and I came home and I talked with my husband and said like, Financially, things are going to get hard. We're going to have to make decisions. You know, we can't live in a house. We're going to have to rent out the house on Airbnb. Or we're going to have to go live in a tent. You know, we didn't live in a tent. We lived in an RV um, by the beach for the next six months, right? We had to make hard decisions to make it work. The CNBC article also opened up an opportunity for Lucy in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga is becoming a hub for tech startups, especially those using 3D printers. Leaders of a business accelerator program there invited Lucy to move to Tennessee. So they found us. They sent me an email and said, hey, we are doing a 3D printing accelerator program in the summer. We're going to have 10 companies that are focused on 3D printing. We're going to give you all the resources that you need. You know, at the end of the summer, you do a pitch. We will bring investors, but, you know, nothing's ever guaranteed. And we're here to support you. Listen to what Chattanooga is doing, San Diego leaders, right? Yeah, no, seriously. Like, I've talked to some people at the economic development here and saying that community sticks together. They're committed from, you know, the, the government at the to state level to the local mayor, to the funding, to the small companies. Like everyone is working together to do this. Yeah. And of course, everyone disagrees on certain things. But at the same time, they still come back to some mandates and they get a few good community leaders that just sit together, plan this out and work together. So that sounds ideal for a business startup. Um, How did you why did you come back to San Diego? (laughs) I mean, everything comes down to, you know, as you're growing, what's the right thing to do at that stage of the company? We got to a point where we needed to hire um, amazing talent. And no matter what we did, we brought them to Chattanooga and they loved it. You know, no one would say I'm willing to take that risk to move to a new location because like what's my backup plan startups have a high failure rate and it's like i would move here with my family or on my own and then what happens if you know and so san diego was a much easier place because people are migrating here in and out all the time because of things like the weather and the tourism environment there's a lot of big established companies here from government and textile industries that means that labor forces are a lot easier to hire and you're hiring now. Always hiring. Right now, you know, we've got senior engineers, we've got some summer interns, we've got industrial footwear designers, and of course, the physical cobblers. So entry level all the way up to senior level. At this point, you're just in growth mode. Is that, how do you describe where you are right now as a company? I would say growth mode. It, it's a wonderful thing to actually have physical product. So you're saying, we've got We've gone past our MVP. We've gone past our prototype. We've started to make some money. We're learning about our customers. Um, and now it's the challenge of like, customers have feedback. They have ideas. How fast can we react to that? And then big companies come and say, could you be in 30 stores like in a month? And we're like, um, right, scratching my head. Sure. You know, the answer is always yes. <laughs> and then behind the scenes, you work out how you're going to make that happen. When Feats launched last year, it 
didn't take long before customer orders started pouring in. The company quickly started bringing in money and growing fast. Now Lucy has to figure out the best way to scale. The biggest opportunities started opening up after Lucy recently upgraded the Feet's fleet of 3D printers and figured out how to print a pair of shoes in just six to nine hours instead of 24. Now she's envisioning Feet's printing stations and shopping malls. Last fall, she scored a lucrative deal with DSW, a major shoe company that made an undisclosed investment in the startup. Now DSW has a few Feet's branded 3D printers in a few of its flagship stores. There's a lot of retail industries already out there and the whole industry is hurting. And they're saying, look, why would I ever go to a store when I could just press a button on Amazon? And so you've got to reinvent what those experiences are. So we could either build our own stores or partner with the thousands and thousands of stores that want new experiences. Lucy fields a lot of interesting emails and requests from big shoe companies who want to figure out if what Lucy's learned could be applied to larger scale manufacturing. She's been thinking a lot about a shoe subscription service that could send customers new shoes as often as they want them with a simple click of a button. That's the future where footwear is going to go. It's going to be very different to how we think about it today. We also have an update on Brock Brown, a young man we introduced you to in 2013 who has a genetic disorder that's caused him to grow to nearly eight feet tall. You Brock recently made Brown. headlines uh, when you printed size 28 shoes for Brock Brown, who was at one point in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the tallest teenager in the world. Uh, so how did you connect with him and how did you make that happen? We found him because his aunt reached out and said, hey, you know, I've got a, a guy with big feet. Can you do anything about it? And then we said, all right, yeah, we're ready. And uh, we talked to him on the phone once. His aunt used the app and took three photos of his feet. And so we never had met him at this point. And then I flew out to Michigan with his pair of shoes and said, right, well, one, I hope they fit. <laughs> but two, this is an amazing experience for him and for Feats to say, it, we didn't have to change anything. It just took a little bit longer to print, you know, it took more like 30 hours versus six hours. But we didn't have to fundamentally change any of the equipment or the systems or the materials. And if you think about that for a different industry, you couldn't do that. And that's why it was so amazing for us to then put those shoes on him. He had the biggest smile from, you know, ear to ear with a grin saying, I never feel special because I don't get to choose my shoes. I just have to take whatever I can kind of find. They're very expensive. I can only get them once a year. On top of that, I have one pair of shoes that I have to wear year round. And you think about the weather in Michigan, it's hot in the summer and it's wintry and got snow in the winter. And he's like, I gotta wear the same shoes. So now we get to explore with him. How can you have any shoes that you want on demand? Looking back on the business Lucy is building, she often tells people the hardest part wasn't figuring out the tricky 3D printing technology. It was finding someone to give her money and believe in her futuristic vision. Fundraising, incredibly hard. You can have the greatest idea in the world and you can do a lot with your first $5,000 and $50,000. You get to a point where you need to hire an expert that knows how to do something and it costs money. You need to buy a piece of equipment and it costs money. And it's like, what do you do? And you have to constantly tell and, and convince people to give you money and means you don't do anything on the business. And they're like, well, what have you done? And I'm like, well, I can't do anything because I've got no money. And you're like in this chicken or egg situation. And it's so frustrating. And you completely understand the, the sides of each person, but like you just can't get past it. And so that's where most people end up failing. Lucy's first big investor came from her time at the incubator in Chattanooga. 
she was introduced to a woman who runs a fund that only invests in women entrepreneurs. She came here last week to San Diego. She is one of our biggest champions. She wears the shoes all the time. She's constantly giving us feedback and introductions. So it's never just about money. It's about having someone that has your back. So in this particular instance, being a woman was a benefit, but uh, how often does gender come up in the business world as an entrepreneur? Is it, do you have people treating you differently or is it still a thing? Raising money, yeah, it's a thing. You know, I wish to say it isn't, but it is. Um, women act differently to men. So if you, women are more naturally, we're not as boastful. We're a little bit more introverted. I'm the case of I've had to learn to like kind of push myself out there more, but I'm still fairly reserved in terms of, you know, I say we're changing the world, but a guy next to me would go like, and here's the billion dollars and we've signed these contracts when they kind of haven't really signed contracts. They're just kind of really loose. They're really stretching a fine line, you know? But of course, if you want to impress a VC with lots of money, they're going to want confidence and they're going to want somebody who kind of stretches the line, right? Whether they say it or not, because they're used to that. And when a woman doesn't do that, but five men next to them are doing that, where's the money going to go? And I wish the world wasn't like that, but just honestly, it is. And it means it's real. I see it not just from me, but from a lot of women that I try and coach and I try and help. It's a struggle to raise money. What's the one word of advice you give to those women coming to you for advice and guidance? I wish there was one word. Um, perseverance, probably, you know, confidence, per confidence and perseverance. Did you ever have a moment in development where you felt like you wanted to quit or had to quit? A challenge that just seemed you know, insurmountable. That first two years, absolutely. No, really, I mean, this is amazingly hard for an entrepreneur. You get knocked down every single day and you have to get up. And some days you're just like, I'm never gonna get past this. I like your shoes, by the way. So these are the gray and black model. Okay. And yeah, they're, I mean, I would definitely wear those shoes. I, I'll tell you about a personal problem of mine. I hate socks. I tend, so I don't wear them. So my, I constantly have to throw shoes away because they're so stinky. <laughs> so then I end up buying like cheap shoes because I'm like, well, I'm only going to wear them for like six months. And then the second they have that yuck, yucky foot smell, I'm going to toss them. So, um, would, would feet shoes solve my problem? Yes. No shoes perfect, but what we have focused on is exactly those same problems. Like I can get stinky feet too. We don't like to admit it, but it happens. We um, chose a material that was antimicrobial and antibacterial, especially because you're not going to put this next to it. Um, I'm going to grab some shoes from over a year ago. These were the Feets 100. You know, you can, you're looking at the inside. You can see kind of like, you can see that they've been worn. There's some marks on them. But if I, you know, do the sniff test for you, I'm willing to do that on camera. You know, not in front of air. Like, it doesn't smell like really stinky feet in here. Um, and if I take these off, like, they're, they're freshly worn, so they're going to have more of a natural. But again, like, the whole room isn't, like, stinking here. And I'm giving I'm you, tempted. Giving you Let me sniff. smell. Let me. <laughs> wow, not bad. I'm not even going to let you smell my shoe. It'd be embarrassing. I think you might have a new customer here. <laughs> I can't help but notice that there's a crown up on a shelf behind you that says new mom. Are you a new mom? Yeah, I had a baby one year ago. Uh, so as I was moving back to San Diego from Tennessee, I was seven months pregnant. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise. So I was like, okay, Feets is my baby. And now I've got this new little life and I'm older. And so it was all a surprise.
So now she's, what, 10 months old, and we're working it out. She's part of the new dream of never trying on a pair of shoes again. How is that working out? You know, I'm a mom of two young kids and try to work full time, but it's difficult. So how is it fitting in being a mom and being an entrepreneur? You never sleep again. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm always tired. And you're always tired as a startup anyway, but at least you can go to sleep when you want. Here, I have this like life who wakes me up three times a night. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to sleep. Um, but it's also this joy of seeing things in a whole new perspective. And if you own a startup and you can't change the future of how work should be done, then like no one else is going to do it. So we work it out. Sometimes she comes to work. You know, we have people that help us out to kind of look after her. Sometimes she comes on business trips with us and she gets to see her mom reinvent something in a new way. Do you get the mom guilt? And if so, how do you deal with it? I have, you know, maybe I felt the mom guilt once or twice, but in the end, I'm like, the only one who's going to tell me I'm wrong is me. Like everyone does the best job that they can. I didn't have a mom. So I'm like, well, the fact that she has one, there you go. That's already something <laughs> that she didn't have. So if I can only spend 10 minutes with her one day or I've spent the whole day with her another day, I'm like, you know what? She's gonna just appreciate that she's got a loving family around her. And it doesn't always mean it's a mom. It's a whole family and a network of people that are there for her. And if she feels safe and secure and she's happy and she's healthy, I don't try and put too many labels on it about guilt. We're just all trying to do the best that we can. Thanks for listening to I Made It in San Diego. I'm Kinsey Moreland. I wrote and produced the show with some help from Scott Lewis. Adam Greenfield mastered and mixed it. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcast to learn more about our weekly Voice of San Diego political affairs show, our Good Schools for All education podcast, the Kept Faith Sports podcast, and all the shows in the VOSD podcast network. If you like the show, go to voiceofsandiego.org and click the donate button. Or if you'd like to sponsor it, Contact Aaron at Aaron at BOSD.org. Now back to our sponsored interview with Aaron Spiewak of Monarch School. So you're doing a lot more than just what what people think of when they think of traditional education. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that we're able to do more is because of this unique public-private partnership that we've built um, with our very generous community here in San Diego. Um, this community believes in Monarch's work and our students, and they allow us to bring these resources to the school and this am tremendous amount of opportunity, which is really what transforms our students' lives. So right now, it seems like San Diegans are more aware and sort of galvanized around the issue of homelessness. Um, numbers are peaking right now. You can see it when you drive through the downtown neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing an uptick in people interested in volunteering or donating and helping Monarch schools serve their students? There certainly is a lot of public attention right now around the homelessness issue, and rightly so. It's a serious issue that requires all of us to come together and make sure each person in our community has access to housing, employment, mental and physical health, and of course, education. We regularly hear from communities around the country interested in Monarch's work and our approach to education. So this isn't just an issue for the San Diego community, but really for our country overall. It's a very exciting time for us as an organization, and we're motivated and energized by the investment the community is making and the attention that the issue is garnering right now. And we're excited to see continued progress at Monarch um, in addressing the 
issue overall in our community. So how can people get involved? Can they just show up and, and volunteer? Do you have a, a structure, a program that people can reach out to and get involved? Absolutely. We have about 150 regular volunteers, um, and they're doing a variety of activities. They're working in our garden. Um, they're volunteering in our butterfly boutique, which is where kids can go shopping and get um, a toothbrush or a new pair of shoes or a clean pair of underwear. Um, they're working as literacy tutors. So we're focused on advancing our students' reading levels as quickly as possible based on the gaps in their education. So we have regular uh, tutors coming in, working one-on-one with students. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have career guidance and workshops for uh, community leaders and professionals coming in and working with our high school students to prepare them. And uh, community partners in the form of businesses that are hosting our students for internship opportunities and preparing them for the world of work. So there's many different ways that the community members can get involved with Monarch. And over the years, it's grown into a successful nonprofit business. um, And it employs dozens of people, manages millions of dollars in assets. Uh, Since this is a business podcast and theoretically business people are listening and interested, do you, can you share any secrets to your success? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I, um, I actually have an MBA and I was the only person um, in my class that was moving into the nonprofit industry. So it's been an interesting experience for me to take that business experience um, and move into the nonprofit sector. And, and a lot of it does translate. We do have the same HR issues, same fun- finance and um, accounting issues as, as a for-profit. Um, it's just that our bottom line gets reinvested into our organization. So we have investors, customers, um, employees, and despite our tax status, we see ourselves as an important business in the San Diego community um, and that more than anything, we should operate efficiently and effectively. To learn more, visit www.monarchschools.org.